0: On the beach. Welcome back to another episode of We Still Ain't Got Our Shit Together. I'm your host, John Willis, and today I'm joined by two of my best friends in Black Kings, uh, Brenton Harrison and Edward Cartwright. Uh, And we're going to jump into episode two of Being a Black Man in America miniseries. And this episode is going to be about microaggression in the workplace. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, both guys with a question. So I'm going to start with you, Ed, and... The question is going to be, when was the first time you experienced microaggression in the workplace?
1: It happened with me, probably my first job after school. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to elaborate on that right now, but that's just kind of when it first, uh, my very first job into the workforce.
0: All right. And for people that don't know, Ed, what field do you work in?
1: I work in the world of IT.
0: OK, so the computer man. So, Brenton, uh, with you, a uh, the same question. When did you first notice it in the workplace?
2: Uh, well, you know, when I when I turned, I think, 13, my parents had a, you know, a philosophy or a rule that you had to be doing something during the day um, during the summers. So, you know, they will find jobs that you could work as a, as a young teenager or something like that. where you make work maybe four or five hours a day, but you just had to be doing something. And, and even at that age, you know, you start to get that. Um, oh, you're so well spoken type thing or oh, man, like, you know, you, you seem so polished. So just little things where, you know, to me, the point of a microaggression is it's so small that if you overreact in their mind, you know, you're just reinforcing whatever they feel or don't feel, but, but definitely something that's enough that you notice it. And it kind of puts you in the mindset of like, is this something that I respond to or something that I let ride? Um, and that's something even at 13, 14 that I started experiencing.
0: Dang, that's young. (laughs) That's real young. Um, I think for me, the first time I experienced this, uh, same as, as, as Ed was uh, directly my first job outside of college. Well, like the first real job, I would say, outside of college. I did small little things here and there, but when I garnished my first real job, that's when I started to experience it and, and notice it in the workplace to, to a point that I can say that would be beyond profiling the thing that I see the most is microaggression, uh, especially in the workplace. Um, so Ed, you said before you didn't want to jump into elaborating just yet. Um, can you elaborate um, on the things that you saw in the IT world that that kind of did that for you?
1: Um, well, my personal experience was first job after finishing college. Um, I, I realized it pretty soon, so And then I realized also the importance of education. So when I first started, I did IT projects um, for a job, and as the projects were ending, I realized they kept me on the job and fired everybody else. But the reason for that was I started to pinpoint was the other guys didn't have a college education, and I was fresh out of school, so they decided to keep me on board I guess because they felt I was more valuable. And as things went further, I had that. I did other projects. And then they tried to assign me to a different team. And this is where I first came across the micro... What do you, you call it? The micro... It was uh, microaggression. Uh, aggression. Aggression.
0: My, microaggression. So,
1: yeah. it, I was kind of set up to fail. So, I joined a team that I wasn't their recruit. Mm-hmm. So they did I didn't have admin rights to do certain things. Um, I always had to go through somebody else to get things done. Yeah. But mind you, they never fully brought me on board and I saw them interviewing other people. and I was already there credential, um, probably more credential than the people they were interviewing. And then to keep the long story short, The lady set me up to fail because she knew I didn't have access to do certain things. So it was one day I had to work with somebody else to get everything done. So it was one day he decided to take a lunch break and she just came in and saw us both sitting down. I'm waiting for him to finish lunch so we can get a project done. But she decides to spaz on me. Knowing I can't get things done without the help of somebody else because you put me in that position. So, if you want to call that, you know, microaggression, or some other people might call it racism for other reasons, I don't know.
0: It's almost. Like um, I don't know what y'all thing.
1: may take on that. You know.
0: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they just put you in a position, especially hiring over, trying to hire over you in a sense, um, and then making sure you had you didn't have what you need to succeed, and that could be forms of because at the end of the day, they want to make you seem like you weren't qualified or you couldn't do your job in a sense uh so brenton uh for you outside of you know the early the early years can we talk a little bit about uh your major career now maybe when you started to experience that
2: yeah you know i'm I'm a financial advisor now but my first job outside of school was actually an extension of an internship that i had going into my senior year it was in the healthcare field and the way that that Program worked. That particular program was the goal was to have interns come in the year before their senior year, and then they would basically be distributed across three or four different uh, business residencies that they had. So they had a operations residency, a management residency, uh, a human resources residency, where you would essentially be rotated throughout their company for two years. Uh, They would help you pay for your MBA, and then after that two-year period, you would get placed somewhere permanently, and to me, the cream of the crop of those programs was their management program, and when you looked at the entire structure of the organization, they had maybe four or five different colleges that were feeding into those internship programs, And when you look at the people who were being placed, you know, in terms of the majority of people who were being placed in that management program, which was the one that most people wanted, it was people who didn't look like me or you or Ed, um, unless it was somebody who, again, they identified as, you know, a different type of person, in my opinion, you know? And I think that's the thing that's important about a microaggression is, again, it puts you in a position where it's not egregious enough for you to be able to call it out and everybody see it, it's just one of those things that puts you in an uncomfortable situation where you're like, well, if I say something, am I going to be looked at as the troublesome employee? Yeah. So what happened was um, I just, the entire summer the internship was a mess. You know, They were shuffling me back and forth in between departments, very similar to what Ed experienced. And I just didn't have a good summer And I think that they realized it, so they offered me the opportunity to come back the following year and essentially work at one of their locations for another year and then apply for the management residency again later. And I told them before I even came, to be clear, the position that they gave me was in human resources. I told them I have no interest in, you know, doing the human resources residency, so I don't mind taking this job, but I'm only taking it if you can guarantee me that I'll be able to apply for the human resources residency. I mean, excuse me, for the management residency. So I, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And then, you know, maybe four or five months in, they start dripping these, you know, comments about, oh man, you're doing so well in human resources. Oh man, this seems like such a great place for you. You're really thriving. And I would say, yeah, that's great, thank you. Again, I wanna make sure that I'm eligible for the management residency. Yeah. And when it came time to, to make that firm commitment, They started referencing how so many more people from my school, and to be clear, my school was the only one of those four or five that's a historically black college. They were talking about how people from my school had thrived in that human resources program, which leads to lower pay, uh, which leads to jobs that, you know, it's not my job to disrespect someone else's position, but it just wasn't something I was interested in. And it really seemed like they were trying to shepherd people who look like me into a position where it's like you have some authority enough to say that we gave you a chance, but not too much of a chance. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this isn't something that you notice when the overwhelming majority of people who go to the desirable program are white and come from pre- predominantly white schools. Um, so that that experience really soured me on the corporate workplace. It really was, I'm, I'm thankful because it was what triggered me to go work for myself. Not that I haven't experienced it in what I do now, But to me, it was just a a harsh entrance into the way that the corporate world works Mm -hmm. and like the limitations of power when you're not a part of that structure.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I've got some good stuff. Um, I'm going to say that mine was very similar to you guys's. Um, My first real job outside of school was a temp job at Burns, like a temp job at a uh, management company. And what ended up happening there is I did very well and experienced zero my uh zero of the uh microaggression at that job and what it ended up doing was segueing segueing me into a, a position at a big time law firm in downtown DC in marketing cuz that was what my degree was in so i kept saying to the person then from the stamp agency was like look you know i want to eventually get into marketing i want to eventually get into marketing so when i got there um The hours were really long. So, I mean, I think I would work nine to like seven daily. Um, So I remember I would always miss the happy hour back there. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it was like, you know, as I would work, what my job did was give us happy hour. Right. So you could drink at work. And eventually one day I went up to happy hour and, you know, to have conversation with people that, you know, of course you set up events for and things of that of that sort. And it was the first time that I experienced it in that, in that, in that setting. It was kind of like, he does a great job for how I look. Does that make sense? Now, it wasn't, it wasn't said in that, in that sense, but it was just like, you know, he's such a hard worker. You know what I mean? He's such this, but in, 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 in the retrospect for me, it was like, that's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do i don't i didn't think at that time i had anything any extra be above or beyond because i was still learning the position so it was just one of those things where it would happen and then weekly after that it would continue to happen for me uh even so much as so just having a conversation with people while grabbing a beer or something if that made sense while we were do our at work um happy hour and so I, I, i i can recall one day having a conversation with a person and how dismissive of the point that I was making they were because of my age and most likely my color. Not until the same white man, and I mean, not the same guy that was dismissive, but another white man made the same point I did and happened to be a partner. Did the point make sense? Does that make sense? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, so now you get it. But it Ooh. just took somebody <laughs> with paler skin and partner on his name for you to understand the point. And so that was the first time I really experienced it uh, for itself. And, you know, now now I'm back in another management position uh, with, with another company. And I didn't experience it directly through the team that I work with t- now, but where I work out of, because it's not my direct site, I have ex- experienced it from people that are there, if that makes sense. So, I think if you guys want to dive into um, for you, Ed, maybe going a little bit deeper into experiences of words said, if you don't mind, that would be pretty cool for some of the people to understand how that kind of comes across and what said that makes it microaggression. So, like, I guess we both know that it has to do because I think Brenton gave a great explanation for it earlier where it's that thing where, you know, it's kind of like it poke at you enough, but it's not egregious enough. To, to be upset in front of people, right? Because then you look right. like the angry black man, which they want you to look like, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Right, so in my particular situation, it was a, a white female manager. So when she approached me, she approached me very, in a hostile manner. Um, like yelling, arms flailing in the air, and, you know, to avoid that stigma of the angry black man, I just stood there in the hallway and stared at her. While everybody else that was going and coming in the office just, you know, was staring at her, wondering, like, why she's yelling at me, because all I do there is just trying to be a part of the team eventually, and just get, you know, my job done. But like I said before, that she put me in a position to fail because in order to do any of the job task, I had to have the help of somebody else, which, yeah, I felt some type of way moving forward because, you know, you're interviewing people that are less credentialed than me, and they just didn't want to bring me a part of the team because I was referred to them by somebody else, and I guess maybe they didn't discover me, Yeah. so it just kind of went on where the next day I came in, I was calm, cool, collected, acting like nothing happened. And then the next day after that, I quit. <laughs> Dropped him with the bam. <laughs> Dropped the so mic. I guess she thought that I was in a position where I needed this job that bad that she was, you know, holding something above me. And that I was just going to deal with whatever she did to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just came in calm, cool, collected. Came in and, and you know, then, then the second day you got that resignation letter.
0: Yeah, I I wonder what I wonder what her face looked like at that moment. <laughs> like I ain't filled this
1: position yet. Um uh. Yeah, so I heard that, you know, people were ridiculing her for saying, well, why would you do that to somebody that does a great job of what they do? Right. Or that's just eventually you're supposed to join the team and I guess for whatever reason she's had something against me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. That,
0: that's one of them things, Brenton, Do you have one that like stands out that resonates, like that was like soul touching, mm-hmm. that had you real irked, grinded your gears?
2: Man, you know, for me, I, I think I've reached the point. I, I grew up in Nashville. My social circle was all black but I was educated in, in white schools, at least to finish, uh, old Southern traditional. I went, I graduated from an all boys school. So, you know, when I went to school, there was a, a statue of a Confederate soldier in the, in the quad of our school. And there's stuff where it's like, you, you get to the point where when you're dealing with people of a different race, for me at least, I get to the point where there's a difference between somebody who doesn't know because they just haven't been exposed to something and someone who, like, has gotten to a point in their life where if they're refusing to acknowledge something, it's not because they haven't been exposed to it. It's because they're just being willfully ignorant. Mm -hmm. So to me, there are probably times when I could do better about being willing to engage with somebody who maybe would be willing to, to yield on some points. But you just get so beaten down by stuff and so angry where I get to the point where it's like if, if somebody's doing something to me, unless I'm going to take it to level 10, I'm just of the mindset where it's like it, you got to this far in your life and you feel this way. I'm not going to waste any of my breath trying to change your mind. So there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's stuff that happens probably every single week, every single month. But to me, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, you're not going to give yourself any power over how i respond to things and and how my day goes but you know there's stuff that happens that is small but you have to make the decision to brush it under the rug or address it now i've I had an experience where um you know i'm an independent contractor so my pay is my own pay i'm not paid by anybody else whatever came in the door you know you know, first of all, the Lord gave me the blessing of of giving it to me. Yeah. But beyond that, it was my responsibility to, to make that final step and bring it in the door. Nobody else brought it in the door. So I remember maybe a few years ago, even though I'm an independent contractor, I run business through a central office that's in, in downtown Nashville. And that office has a CEO. I don't work for him. He doesn't pay me. He's just responsible for the compliance that we need for my job, so on and so forth. So what happened was I had earned some money um, and it was due to me. Nobody else earned it. It was my money. And they were um, miscalculating the amount on my paycheck. So they essentially said, hey, we have all this money. We can you know, do it in one paycheck or we can spread it out. And if you've been an entrepreneur, you know that there's periods where it's like, if you look at the end of the year, you might have brought in enough to do what you needed. But that month to month isn't always consistent. It's like, okay, if I look at the end of the year, maybe I'm okay. But maybe I got paid a whole, whole, whole lot one month and not as much the other. So instead of them paying out the money that I earned, that they forgot to pay me, uh, instead of paying it all at once, I said I want that money spread out over the next four months. It was August, I was like, just spread it out till December. So the person who leaves that office starts, you know, emailing with the company who owed me the money. And when he gets it resolved, he forwards me the message saying that it had been approved, but he didn't delete any of the email chain below it. So I start scrolling down and I start seeing these two men basically not making fun but implying that i wasn't making sense with the way that i was requesting that they paid out my money you know and i'm sitting there really going through this email chain first of all saying like man this this person doesn't even think enough of me to delete this it's one thing to say behind my back but you're gonna like basically just forward me this chain and and assume that i won't make a problem of it and that was a time where it's like microaggression you know, big aggression or not, you're not going to sit here and criticize the way that I choose to get paid out something that you forgot to pay me. So I read him the riot act. I had reply all on that thing and just like went scorched earth. And, you know, I was probably, so this, I was maybe 28, 29 at the time. And I remember another older black advisor, um, who was in our office, he pulled me to the side and he said, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that there won't be times where you have to do that from now and then he said, but just understand that this is going to happen so many times throughout the course of your career in one way or another yeah. that you just can't let it impact you the way that it's impacting you. Cause I wanted to go drive downtown and and go, you know, talk to the guy directly.
1: Um, the you know, I don't like having a, a,
2: a, an awkward conversation, like hanging over my head mm. But again, it's just one of those things where it's like that was a moment where I'm sitting there saying I'm looking at these two white men in their 50s who are being condescending about money that's not theirs and the way that it should be paid out. And they forgot to pay me. You know, I'm like that's some some nerve. And that's probably the the last time that it touched me to that point where where it's like, no, I'm about to go find this person. (laughs) But nine times out of ten you know, I'm able to just again say yeah. I'm either going to address it or I'm not going to address it. But if I'm not going to address it, then I'm not going to let it bother me.
0: Wow. Man, that's real. I think I'd have been real hot if I had to do with my money. And I, oh, and yeah, I, and I get it. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think for me, like, you know, um, when we talk about corporate America, and I think you mentioned earlier that you kind of got tired of seeing how that cog worked. So, I would say for me, maybe after two months at the law firm, I quit and moved back to Alabama to, you know, finally finish my good old Christian credits to get, a, get out of that university that we were in, and, um, okay. and then, um, you know, I coached for a year when I was out there, and then I moved to Georgia. Um, when I moved to Georgia, I was kind of out of work for three months, and I figured out uh, hey, I coached for a year. Let me try to start a business. So, you know, I started a training company. So training athletes. So there was a while there where I never wanted a job that was a nine to five. Right. I always wanted to have steady income because, as, as, as Brenton says, you'll have months that are that are big. Like my summer months make a ton of money. Uh, but come winter, fall, you know, it's kind of give or take, especially if you have any pros with you that play overseas. They're gone. If that makes sense. So if that's the bulk of your income, that's gone then. So I remember I got a job at the hospital uh in in in, in uh in here in Georgia and I was working in the rehab department. And this is where I had my soul touching story. And it wasn't necessarily directed towards me, but it had everything to do with my race, right? Now, to put in perspective what it looked like. I was the only black man in a department that was full of majority white women. So there were three black people, or okay, let me get it right four black people in the department. Two of them were receptionists, one was a therapist, and then me, all right? So we all used to take lunch at the same time, and we had a lunch room inside of our, our therapy department. Now, This started right around when Kaepernick first started kneeling, right? You know, when Kaepernick first kneeled and they asked him the question why he was kneeling, the answer was about police brutality and systematic injustice in our country. He gave the answer, right? The answer was given. And as the weeks began to prolong, as he did it more and more and more again, it became the story. Now, I go to sit down and eat lunch one day. Now, I've learned to code switch you know, much like Renton has since I was younger because I grew up in a predominantly white area. So when I left the house, my dad made sure, hey, this is how you talk. This is what you do. This is how you carry yourself, especially being your skin complexion in this area, if that made sense. So I had, I had the ability to navigate white people. Now, we're at lunch, and one of, the, one of my coworkers begins to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Now well, I'm listening to the conversation, trying to keep my mouth shut and eat, and you know, she's speaking, oh, we pay his salary. He makes all those millions. He needs to not be disrespecting the flag. Well I said, you know, so I chime in at that point. We're at lunch. I chime in. I said, Look, it had nothing to do with the flag, it had everything to do with the protest that's nonviolent and having to dealing with police brutality. And systematic racism for people of my color right well from what i see the football place is not the place to protest that's the wrong place to do it go to capitol hall or city hall or something like that and i said that's not the difference it's about the platform so we're having a conversation back and forth and i said just you know this past summer when ryan locke represented the united states and lied about what truthfully happened to him, you told me, oh, it was just a mistake. Oh, it's just a mistake. He should be forgiven. He should be good to go. And I said, that is the difference between what you're saying here and what you're saying here. And that point was completely missed, right? So you're telling me a man beat somebody up, peed on a building while representing your country in a different place during the Olympics and then had the audacity to lie about it later on. But you say, because he's white, oh, it's just a mistake. And I think for me at that point, when they couldn't get that, I felt myself boiling over. So I legitimately left my job's lunchroom for about two months and never ate lunch in that lunchroom for two months. I did my job. I know I could not come and sit down because if I did, I would get fired if that made sense. There would be no way that I can go about my day Having a conversation with these people anymore, because you just don't get it. Now, it didn't stop me from doing my job at the time, and then you know, as time goes along, we keep talking, 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 talking. Now, this is this happens on the actual therapy floor, where one of the therapists, now white lady, says, "Well, oh my God," you know, she starts talking about the continent of Africa and how everybody in Africa is poor, and you need uh, what's that organization? Uh, Peace Corps to go out there and help and how her friend helps all these poor African people who gotta wipe their ass with leaves and I said you can't be more naive speaking about a continent in that way it's a continent just like here in Flint, Michigan we got people drinking brown water just like here in Atlanta if you go to East Atlanta you got kids that don't have meals and for you to speak in that manner Like, I just could not handle it. So now, you know, graciously at that point, uh, my manager came by and heard that conversation. But it was like, oh, she didn't mean it in that way. Well, how did you expect for her to mean it? When you talk about a continent, predominantly of people that look like me. But when you're listening to 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 that versus what has happened, you know, earlier in the lunchroom. For me, I just couldn't stay at that workplace. So at the time, I held two jobs, and I made more money at my other job. So like Ed did, here goes my letter of resignation. Not only did I resonate or did I leave at that time, they lost 10 clients the day I left. And it was so funny because the conversation after that was, oh, is there anything we could do to get you back? Nah, because you'd have to get rid of all your staff. Damage was done. Nah, damage was done. Like this, I I felt uncomfortable coming to work. There was no availability for me to be there to be comfortable in my own skin because of the privilege they felt that they could talk without having the ability to listen to somebody that looks like me. So I mean, I couldn't do it, and I couldn't be seen as an angry black man with a department full of white women. Like, the cops would have been called so fast, it would have been outrageous. I mean, yeah, yeah so, I mean, it that, that for me is, like, my painstakingly, you know, instant. That wasn't necessarily for me. And then, you know, I've had them here and there throughout the time. Like, I mean, even as recent as, like, two months ago. Like, I had one. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where a lady was like, oh, your parents have to be so proud of you. Yet again, you don't know me from Adam. <laughs> right? Like, you don't know who I am. But the context of conversation is leading because somebody's speaking about me and you're like, oh, that person that you were talking about is him. You can see how the eyes get big where they're like, oh, I had no idea that there was a black guy you were speaking about, if that makes sense. Oh, your parents must be so proud of you. Yeah, they are. (laughs) You know i'm am I not supposed to be doing what I'm doing? like you let me know if that's such a a a a a shocker that somebody is doing well you know what I mean so that was just one of those situations for me. I thank you guys. Does anybody have anything else y'all want to talk about at least you know any current events or topics before we uh we jam up out of this?
2: No, I just think. You know, being a, a black—not even just a black, just a, a minority in America—it's um, one of those. It's one of those times where it's like people who are white or people who are not experiencing what we're experiencing. They want to reach out and ask how you're doing and all that stuff. And you know, to me, I, I I appreciate that. There may be times when I'm willing to engage, and times where I'm like, I appreciate the effort, but I'm not in the space to, to educate right now. You know. Um, I have some some white friends who I'm closer to who I think are very well-intentioned and have always been good to me. And they'll acknowledge that there are some things that they were just blind to. And, and it, it does make you feel comforted. Uh, and then there are people, again, where it, it's like they reach out and they want you to sit here and tell me, oh, well, what should I do? And sometimes I just don't have the energy for it. And I, and I don't mind telling them that. And I think yeah. that what makes it so hard is being in situations where it's like, when you're talking about them saying, oh, there's a right place or a wrong place to feel a way or to protest as a black person or or to do anything, it's like, well, first of all, who are you to tell another grown person how they should feel, how they should protest, how they should be active in their community? And to me, that's infuriating, you know? And the other thing that's infuriating is when you go through those situations and someone tells you a better place to do it is that. And, and my response is, what protest works when the thing and the people they're protesting against are comfortable? It's like, you just describe something that makes you comfortable as the preferred way to protest. And to me, that's a recipe for a protest that doesn't work. So, you know, it, it just puts you in a situation where it's like, you don't know where to turn. I don't know where to be mad, whether to shut off the world. But it's it's it's, a, it's always a time to to be happy to be black, but man, can it be
0: frustrated? <laughs> Jesus, 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 man! Britain almost struck a nerve with that one. Like I, <laughs> I, think, I think that is it, it, it is it is interesting to start meetings now at work because everybody wants to know how you're doing. Oh, now you're concerned. <laughs> that's like that's like for me like. Like, I guess for me, um, you know, the, t- the statement ig- 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 ignorance is bliss" is a tough pill for me to swallow, if that makes sense, because it's almost like it's not that the song hasn't been sung. You know, even if we don't want to go back 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 150, 120 years, man, 220 years, however long you want to go back even if we wanna go back just to 2015 till now, right? Just to 2015 to now. What was out in 2015? Social media. There is no way that you can tell me as a person, now it has nothing to do with your skin color, but a person that you weren't all noticed. But the key is this, as, 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 as Brenton said for me, it's about comfortable, right? So it's kinda of hard for me to navigate which questions you're asking just to have your 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 guilt ego stroke like your guilt ego stroke, you know versus which questions are you asking truthfully to understand, I think that's the hard part I fall in between because I think some people is really is just oh, how do I get the sympathy vote now for being white and not knowing you know what I mean I think that's the hard part for me to 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 swallow in in the situation, especially being asked a question like. We just went back to the office from working from home and you know you walk in the door oh, oh hey john how's it going bro you don't ever say two words to me fit <laughs> to go to my office that's how it's going you know like what so i mean and it's not it's not for the lack of them trying but it, it's, it, it goes to conversations that's been had where it's like, oh, the world isn't that bad. Or, or, or I can't believe how bad the world has gotten. You can't. My parents were born in the 40s. Like, I want people to understand, my parents were born in the 40s. You were still sicking German shepherds and blasting us with, 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 with water hoses and, and, you know, making sure that we couldn't eat in the same restaurants you did in the South. I want you to put that in perspective. My parents are now in their 70s, but people that are 50, it is not that far removed for you to say that to me in, in, in that sense for me. That's kind of hard for me to handle. I don't know. I mean, Ed, you might have something to add to that.
1: Um, I'm, and for me, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but this has been, this has been a last, last few weeks have been pretty weird. Like, I don't know about y'all, but that's like, I like you know, going throughout my day, working, working from home like honestly i've been tired and i've been tired because not only are we dealing with a pandemic we also in the midst of this have to worry about the stuff that's happening you know to black people right now and uh,
0: okay time out can do you mind if i correct you not happening to black people now being publicized sorry go ahead
1: that's a better way to put it yeah But, you know, one thing I should say that would help um, last week, you know, my placement appointment actually took a stand and we had a day of pause last week. Okay. Um, It wasn't, you could choose to participate in it if you wanted to, but I was, I just been feeling tired. So it was like a day just of that they said it was to reflect, you know, on ways to support anti-racism, you know, as a society and to take actionable steps towards change. And that was actually, you know, one thing my job did last week that kind of just, it makes you feel better. You know, you can kind of just reflect on everything that's going on because this is tiring. Yeah. You know, it's just a lot of things that you have to worry about right now. That's just unsettling.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's real. I think at the end of the day, yo, Brent, Brent, Brent made a good ass point, man. Like, I just want to think about this. My man said, how, how, how does a person that is of the oppressor group tell you how to protest. <laughs> like, I, I don't get it, like, you know, I keep hearing that, you know, it's all about a nonviolent movement, but I, I might end on this with a, when I say this much. If you, If anybody can let me know when true peaceful change has ever happened since the world has started, don't care if you're Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter, but let me know when peaceful change has happened. I'm all ears. Because, man, if you look at the Battle of Jericho, even though they ain't fought, they walked around the city, and it came crumbling down. So, I'm pretty sure a lot of people died in that situation. It's just me. I I mean, I just want to know when that's ever happened. So, I mean, I don't know if y'all can answer that question if not, but (laughs) I just don't believe that it's real. So, I mean, it's going to take a lot, but you have to listen that the majority wants to stay comfortable. So, protesting in a way that they feel is fit or how to protest or when to protest or what to do or how to do it, how to feel is a situation that, that is tough for, um, young black people. And I think, I think with the pandemic, we're, we're, we're at a perfect precipice right now for this movement to, uh, continue with black unemployment being at the level that it is, uh, kids being far enough removed from the martin luther king era to 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 rattle some feathers if that makes sense you know what i mean be be kind of removed for the whole nonviolent movement not saying that i am a proponent of violence always but if your oppressor is not nonviolent, i don't believe in being nonviolent. but that's just me but yeah so we're, we're, we'll go from there but if anybody else has anything to put in if not i thank you guys for coming out um my 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 bro, Ed, came through. My boy, Brenton, came through. I thank you guys so much uh, for coming out and sharing your thoughts. Um, you guys are awesome. Continue to keep pushing. And this has been another episode of We Still Ain't Got Our Shit Together. And I'm out, y'all. All right. All
1: right. Sound good to me.